In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating God, who is Blessed Trinity. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We hear Jesus' words from the Gospel of John today and no longer think them strange or out of place. Even if the vivid imagery is somewhat out of our comfort zone, we hear Jesus speaking of the Eucharist, and that is something with which we are intimately familiar. There is a range of beliefs when it comes to the Episcopal understanding of the Eucharist, and though this description that Jesus offers may be somewhat beyond the pale for some of us, as Episcopalians, we are quite comfortable leaning into the mystery and admitting that though we don't know exactly what is happening, something real is taking place when we celebrate the Eucharist together. So since this language doesn't quite shock us, I want to move past it to consider how this passage continues to relate to manna, to the daily bread given by the hand of God. And that undeniably has something to do with the Eucharist, but it also has to do with Jesus himself and who we are when Jesus abides in us and us in him. You may have noticed that outside of the gospel reading, our lectionary is blaring another theme at top volume. Each of the other readings this week was about wisdom. Wisdom is a venerated subject both in Judaism and in Christianity, but it's a subject that the average Christian now may not know much about. So today, we're going to dig into this tradition. Our first reading is from Proverbs. Proverbs actually belongs to the genre of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and it represents a very traditional approach to wisdom literature. Proverbs is a collection of short, pithy sayings meant to provide basic information for good living. But wisdom literature is also much more than proverbial sayings. The books of Job and Ecclesiastes also belong to the wisdom literature genre, and those books tackle much harder questions about suffering and finding fulfillment in life. But one thing on which all of these books agree is that wisdom is found in God. Proverbs begins by telling us that the fear of Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Judaism makes the reverence of God concrete by inextricably intertwining the Torah, the law, and wisdom. If you follow the laws laid down by God, you will be walking in the way of wisdom. In our own culture, we have tended to look down upon rule following, but that's not really how faithful Jews would understand the observance of Torah. The law of the Lord teaches them how to live good and fruitful lives. Rather than seeing the strictness of the law, they view it as a well-laid path that brings them to wholeness of life. 
There is much that we could learn from that understanding. Because wisdom is so closely tied with Torah, it is also bound to the word of God. You may remember that Jesus rebukes Satan in the wilderness by saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus says that, he is quoting from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy. Torah is the word of the Lord. All of these interconnections certainly had an influence on John, who made a further connection to Jesus. In John, Jesus is the Logos, the Word. And linking the Word to creation also ties in to wisdom traditions. In Proverbs chapter 8, which we read, or, or was just before our reading today, the writer proclaims, the Lord created me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight. This section of Proverbs emphasizes the createdness of wisdom, but other streams see wisdom as an enduring attribute of God and therefore uncreated, as Jesus and the Holy Spirit are also uncreated. This becomes important because wisdom is always personified as a woman. You heard that in our reading today. Both the Hebrew and the Greek words are feminine in form. So wisdom, when personified, is always seen as a woman. When wisdom is then so closely linked with God and with Jesus, we get an important feminine aspect to God. We know, of course, that God is both feminine and masculine, though neither male nor female, having given God's image to all of humanity. But we do not often get to the chance to hear of God's feminine side. So wisdom, linked as it is to the word of God and as an attribute of God, gives us feminine language in which to understand both God and Jesus and ties into the feminine spirit, since the word for spirit is also feminine in Hebrew. Therefore, in the Old Testament, God's spirit is always she. I have digressed a little bit, uh, but I feel that it's important to understand the feminine aspects of God, not only for the women who grow up in church, but for the men as well. God encompasses all aspects of our humanity, and that's easy to wash over in a male-dominated society to the detriment of all genders. The point is that wisdom, Torah, Word and Jesus all have close ties to one another. And in the same way that the Jews have been taught from the beginning to feed on the Word of God, Jesus is now inviting us to feed on that Word and wisdom personified in Jesus. 
We have been told that we, as Christians, have become the body of Christ. And when we think of it in that light, there is a sense in which the regular consumption of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, makes us into Christ's body. Just as our regular consumption of the word and a life of prayer continues to form us into the likeness of Christ. All of these practices are our daily bread. And they shape us into the type of people who love God by loving our neighbors. This is exactly the type of life that Jesus offers to us. We come to Jesus day after day to be formed into the body of Christ. And just as Christ's body was not withheld, Christ's life was not withheld, but given for the life of the world, so also our body, having been made together as one into Christ's body, is not meant to be withheld, but given to the world. But I want you to hear the important the importance of the corporate nature of our body as Christians. I alone am not the body of Christ. I become the body with other Christians. That does not mean that I can never do good on my own. There is much that individuals can accomplish. But I think it's important when our culture is so individualistic to think hard about our corporateness as the body of Christ. Because the vision of God is not limited to individuals. The vision of God is broad and requires that systems level thinking of a collective group to, to come to fruition. Not that we, even as a body, are responsible for the kingdom of God. Nothing comes to fruition when we cut ourselves off from the vine. We accomplish nothing without God, even corporately. But when we think of ourselves together as the body of Christ, linked into Jesus as the head, doesn't your imagination bloom? Doesn't the vision of God seem so much closer and more real? I think that's natural, because the vision of God is built on love, and love does not exist apart from community, apart from communion. This bread discourse is telling us that spending time with God, spending time with each other, is what forms us into the sacramental, self-giving body of Christ. We commune with Jesus and we commune with each other daily to receive our daily bread, to receive the formation that changes us together into the body of Christ, so that we, the church, may be the continued incarnation of God in the world through the help and guidance of the Spirit. This is the life that Jesus offers in John. We need only come day after day to eat and be fed.
Amen.